views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Good morning. It's 11.03 a.m. My name is Angel Fall. You've just tuned in to Victims to Victorious. And um, I want to welcome the listeners to part three of a series we started because of Valentine's Day. Uh, the title of this third installment, we were on hiatus last week. The title of this third installment is Love to Death. Some states are safer than others. So in today's show... I'm going to be looking at some specific laws and the way they are enforced in specific states. If you just tuned in and you didn't hear parts one and two of the series, you can certainly go to the Black Talk Radio Network, look on the right-hand side, and you'll see a list of all the shows uh, that are hosted on the Black Talk Radio Network. Mine is called Victim to Victorious, and look for the series uh, that, are, that have been uploaded in February where we're taking a look at domestic violence deaths, particularly those that are the result of morbidity or mortality of gun violence. So gun violence is wounded, severely wounded, or killed the woman. And we also discussed in a couple of the shows, very often in domestic violence situations, uh, pets are harmed and children are harmed. One interesting statistic we discussed in previous shows is that um, the percentage of children killed when the man is the biological father versus just the stepfather is statistically insignificant. So in other words, he's just, he's more likely, he's not more likely to kill children fathered by another man. The difference is about the same, that the children are domiciled in the home and he's the acting stepfather or the biological father, basically is the paternal figure. Those children are, are at risk and they have the same type of risk. So what we're going to do first is look at the Lautenberg Amendment, and that's the federal law that prohibits certain people convicted of domestic violence crimes from buying or owning guns. And then we're going to take a look at um, the much, as many states as we have time for to go into some detail. But a little more than half of the states are, um, a little more than half of the states are very vigilant about enforcing the uh, the law and um, let me just say 30 states I'm reading from lawcentergifford.org you can also follow them on Twitter 30 states in the District of Columbia also prohibit purchase or possession of firearms or ammunition by at least some people convicted 
of, of misdemeanor domestic violence offenses. One of the themes that public health always has is past violence is a predictor of current violence. And as time allows, I'm actually going to go through the laws in certain states about uh, how these guns can be removed from the home or the person. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, I'm going to continue talking for um, a good 15 minutes, and then we'll open it up to callers who can interact with the material that we're providing. Keep the number hand, handy, 704-802-5056. Remember to press the star key twice to unmute yourself so our international listeners can hear your opinion. 704-802-5056. And remember to follow me on Twitter, On Air Angel. And please visit the um, Black Talk Radio Network site to hear my shows, my show and others that have been podcasted. So going back to the article on um, the, from the Giffords.org, LawCenterGiffords.org, the Lautenberg Amendment, prohibits people convicted of certain domestic violence crimes from buying or owning guns. The federal prohibition that applied to domestic violence misdemeanors was adopted in 1996 and commonly known as Lautenberg Amendment after its sponsor, the late Frank Lautenberg of New Jersey, he was a Democrat, defines a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence as an offense that is federal, state, or tribal law that would mean on the reservation misdemeanor, and has the use or attempted use of physical force or threatened use of a deadly weapon as an element. In addition, the offender must fit one of the, of the following criteria. Be a current or former spouse, parent, or guardian of the victim. Share a, share a child in common with the victim. Be a, current, be a current or former cohabitant with the victim as a spouse, parent, or guardian be similarly situated to a spouse, parent, or guardian of the victim. Remember, this is 1996 when the law starts, and they're not using the word conjugal or intimate partner violence. They're, not a, they're trying to cover the increasing number of people who are not legally married in the jurisdictions. And Interestingly enough, a Lautenberg state of New Jersey um, is good about enforcing uh, these kinds of laws. So we now have a a definition of who the perpetrator will be and what the federal law says about it. Federal law also prohibits some <coughs> excuse me. Federal law also prohibits some abusers who are subject to protective orders from purchasing or possessing firearms and ammunition. The prohibition applies only if the protective order was issued after notice to the abuser and a hearing and only if the order protects an intimate partner. So here the language has been updated. Intimate partner, conjugal partner, the, the amendment uses the word cohabitant of the abuser or child of the abuser or intimate partner. An intimate partner includes a former current spouse, a parent of a child in common with the abuser, or an individual with whom the abuser does or has cohabitated. And of course, if you've been listening to all three parts of the show here in um, Victim to, victims to Victorious, many states have not caught up with stalkers and even people who have just been dating and furthermore, people who have connections on social media have been stalked and killed. So some states have been better at others, at others than reinterpreting the law, implying this law 
to these general situations. So let's go to the next part of the article about notification to domestic violence offenders. The Violence Against Women in Department of Justice Reauthorization Act of 2005 required state and local governments as a condition of certain funding to certify that their judicial administrative policies and practices included notification to domestic violence offenders of both of the federal firearm prohibitions mentioned above and any applicable related federal, state, or local laws. In 2005, however, the Violence Against Women Act did not, however, require states or local governments to establish a procedure for their surrender of firearms by abusers. So I do have a printout about the, the, the surrender process state by state and how the law is enforced. Um, for instance, in West Virginia, whenever any person is arrested pursuant to the provision of this article or a violation of an order issued pursuant, I'm reading a real legal language, uh, to Section 509 of subsections B and C, et cetera, et cetera, shall seize all weapons that are alleged to have involved or, or threatened to be used in commission of domestic violence. The authorities may seize a weapon that is in plain view of the officer or was discovered pursuant to a consensual search as necessary for the protection of the officer or other person. Uh, the last show, part two, we also discussed the fact that police officers are at high risk of being shot themselves when the abuser has a gun in the home. So the West Virginia law says the um, authorities may seize all weapons that are that are possessed in violation of a, in a valid protective order. So that state has a rigorous law. So um, what the Giffords, uh, Law Center Giffords.org, is advocating for in their narrative language is that more of the states have a uni uniformity of enforcing the law and more states have an active way of having the offender surrender the guns. Many states have adopted, I'm still at the Gifford.org site, if you want to follow me on Twitter, if you're following me on the computer, um, you go to LawCenterGifford.org. If you're following me on Twitter, it's On Air Angel. So states that restrict access to guns by domestic violence misdemeanors, states have closed the gaps in federal law pertaining to abusers who commit misdemeanor crimes of domestic violence by enacting laws that prohibit domestic violence misdemeanors not covered by federal law from buying or possessing guns or ammunition, authorizing or require surrender of guns and or ammunition after a conviction of a domestic violence misdemeanor. And, and many advocates are worried about the states that, that there is a gap between the time she files uh, the domestic violence complaint, the time that the order is issued, and the time if the if the state is, or jurisdiction is allowed to confiscate the gun, what happens in between when all the paper is being, you know, filed, the kind of risk that the woman is at. Uh, many states require reporting domestic violence offenders' identities to databases used for firearm purchaser background checks. Now, that might seem a shock to you, but all states are just not reporting. There are 50 states in the District of Columbia. Prohibiting domestic violent misdemeanors from buying or possessing firearm or ammunition. As noted above, the writers here at the Giffords.org say, federal law prohibits purchase and possession of firearms and ammunition by people convicted of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence 
but define that term narrowly. So now we're going to get into the states. Um, 30 states and the District of Columbia also prohibit purchase or possession of firearms or ammunition by at least some people. And that's what at Gifford.org uh, people are asking for advocacy and changes in policy and law. Some people convicted of misdemeanor domestic violence or offenses. Now remember, before I read those states, remember the federal law, which is called the Lautenberg Amendment, was adopted in 1996. So that is 24 years ago. And we're still discussing gaps in the law, application of the law, states' inability to apply the law, whether or not guns can be confiscated. And, of course, I know that the um, the NRA followers and other types are um, believing, if they're listening to me, that I'm advocating for the federal government to come in and remove everyone's firearms. No, I am not. And those of you who have been following my show since last year know the sound engineer, Scotty Reed, and the founder of the Black Talk Radio Network, he is a, a firearm possession possessor. He's been trained in the military. This show is not about removing guns from everyone. This show is about the public health rules being applied for people who are at the most risk from dying from gunshot wounds. So African-American men between the ages of 16 and about 40 are at the highest risk in urban areas. And women in domestic violence situation um, if I recall correctly, are 500 times likely to be shot by the perpetrator if a gun is in the home. So 30 states in the District of Columbia, and I'm going to list them. Alabama, and if you are from one of those states and you want to weigh in on the conversation, we can put you on the air live, 704-802-5056. Make sure you press the star key twice to unmute yourself. 704-802-5056. Uh, we are broadcasting actually today from Ohio. We've broadcasted from Connecticut and Massachusetts, and um, hopefully next month we will be able to broadcast from Chicago. Alabama, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, District of Columbia, Hawaii, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York. I'm broadcasting from Ohio. Ohio is not on the list. Um, if your state is on the list and you agree with what we're discussing or disagree or have an anecdotal story, 704-802-5056, press the star key twice. New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, surprisingly enough, Utah, Washington State, and West Virginia. Some of these laws may exceed federal law in various ways, including by broadening the definition of domestic violence. For instance, some include in their definitions of domestic violence a violence misdemeanor against a firmer or current dating partner. Remember I mentioned that. Not all states interpret dating partners or internet friends who turn into stalkers as a valid class to be prosecuted. Um, going back to the article, for instance, some include in the definitions of domestic violence, a violence misdemeanor against a former 
or current dating partner of the offender, someone with whom the offender has had a romantic relationship, or any present or former household member or cohabitant of the offender. And states who interpret that broadly, that includes roommates, for instance. Uh, other laws include, in their defini definition of domestic violence, a violent misdemeanor against any family member, regardless of whether the victim resides with the offender. That's an interesting interpretation. The strongest laws prohibit the purchase or possession of firearms by individuals convicted of violent misdemeanors, generally, regardless of the victim's relationship to the offender. That's a very strong law. California, for example, prohibits the purchase and possession of firearms or ammunition by anyone convicted of assault, battery, or stalking without regard to the victim's relationship to the offender. And that's a good law that California has because um, if, if someone starts stalking you from social media and you live in a jurisdiction where the police say, have you dated the person? Or let's say the per you're female and the person is also female. Those states that are only allowing for the heteronormative interpretation and those states that are not allowing for the way social media has impacted people's criminal behavior are not, not going to allow you to file charges. And we know that people have been killed by stalkers that they haven't even met in person until that person decides to be violent against them. Connecticut, Hawaii, and New York also use this approach. For more information about these laws, you can see our summary on um, categories of prohibited people, and that's on Gifford.org. It's 20 after 11. My name is Angel Fall. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Part 3 of the Victims to Victims uh, series for Thanksgiving, Death to Us Part. Some states are safer than others. Seven states require the relinquishment of firearms by all people convicted of firearm-prohibiting crimes. I have disclosed in the past I was in court in Connecticut where a, a man, an older white gentleman, uh, was convicted, and he was asked to surrender his firearms. I was in the Connecticut State Court when this occurred. Connecticut is a state that does not have county governments. They were disbanded in the 1960s. So courts are either... Courts are either local or they're either metropolitan courts or state courts, and sometimes they're both at the same time. That's a little hard to explain, but the main reason why I'm mentioning this is there's another layer of government in most parts of the United States, and that's the county government. D.C. doesn't have county government, for instance. Louisiana has parishes. So all states um, do not have the county government legal uh, incorporation and therefore they don't all have that same level of county government. If you live in a Midwest state or a state out west, counties are huge and they, they have their own laws that are enforced within the county. So the seven states again that I'm reviewing that require relinquishment of firearms for all people convicted of firearm prohibiting crimes are California, Connecticut, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Nevada, New York State and Pennsylvania. If you live in the, one of those states, uh, let us know what you're thinking. You can't get to the phone, you're at work, send me a tweet on Air Angel or call in if you can, 704-802-5056. Press the star key twice. In addition to these states, eight states require relinquishment of firearms when a person is convicted of a domestic violence misdemeanor or or specific domestic violence offense. Colorado, 
Illinois, Iowa, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, Oregon, Rhode Island, Tennessee. States that require the reporting of domestic violence offenders' identity to the NICS database. Don't get this confused with the TV show. The NICS database is how people's backgrounds are reviewed for gun purchases. It's absolutely amazing that all 50 states do not report report domestic violence abuse. So if you are in a state that doesn't, get hold of your senator, get hold of your congressman, get hold of your mayor. Four states have recently enacted law design, laws designed to facilitate the reporting of abusers whose crimes fall within the federal definition of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence to the database used for firearm purchase or background checks. In 2001, New York enacted a law establishing a procedure to be used in trials for certain violent misdemeanors to determine whether the crime qualifies as domestic violence under the federal definition of the term. If the crime is found to fall within the definition, the clerk of the court must send a written report to a state agency who then reports the determination to the FBI for inclusion in the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. The acronym is NICS. Illinois and Minnesota have similar laws. Massachusetts requires courts to transmit records of certain domestic violence offenses to the Department of Criminal Justice Services for inclusion in the NICS. The Department of Criminal Justice, of course, is where you get, uh, the Department of Justice is where you get the FBI. So it goes to show you, just in this bit that I'm reading from lawcenter.giffords.org, the discrepancy, the gaps, the different applications and interpretations leave holes for victims. And the victims that we are concerned about are victims who are female most of the time, who are 500 times more likely to be to have the gun used on them that's in the home, to be killed in, a, in an escalated domestic violence situation, and that there are whole groups of people who are not included because the law is interpreted differently or the law is so, um, what's the word I want? It's so, um, it's so literal that the court can't really enforce it where it still says former spouse and you show up in court with an Internet stalker. You're just not going to get the type of legal protections because the law doesn't cover it. So if you are in, in one of these um, states where these laws are not being applied um, uniformly, let your congressman know, let your senator know, let your, your mayor know. Moving on to a little bit more about from this article, and then um, we're coming up on a break. After the break, I am going to give some more details about the state, how these laws are enforced. If you live in the state, those states, we'd like to hear from you. And also, a little bit more, I'm going to give a little bit more about online resources and how you can get help if you are a victim. States that restrict access to guns by abusers subject to domestic violence protective orders. Many states have closed the gaps in federal law pertaining to abusers 
who are subject to domestic violence protective orders by enacting laws that authorize authorize or require courts to prohibit abusers subject to protective orders from buying or possessing firearms. Authorize or require removal or surrender of firearms when a protective order is issued. States that prohibit domestic violence protective order respondents from accessing firearms, um, I'm going to give a list of those states, the strongest laws prohibit anyone subject to court-issued protective order from purchasing or possessing firearms. Some states, however, only purchase courts to, only authorize courts to prohibit gun purchase and possessions by domestic abusers and others apply the prohibitions to some, but but not all types of protective orders. So if you listen carefully, you can see that gap right there. States that prohibit subjects of domestic violence orders issued after notice and a hearing from purchasing or possessing firearms. States in this list may require finding that the respondent poses a credible or imminent threat to the petitioner for the firearm prohibition to apply. What I also like about the language here, it says just the petitioner. And I think that's a much more fair fair way for the courts to interpret that someone is, is, is asserting domestic violence or some type of stalking or abuse because of all the permutations of relationships that we have that are both heteronormative and homosexual and cohabitation, roommates, other family members. So here are states that prohibit subjects of domestic violence orders that are issued after notice of hearing from purchasing or possessing a firearm. And you'll notice there's a, there is an overlap also in some of the states that require surrender. Alabama, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, District of Columbia, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Washington State, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. States that prohibit subjects of domestic violence orders issued after notice and a hearing from purchasing or possessing firearms only when certain conditions are met. Alaska, Arizona, Indiana, Michigan, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, Nevada, North Dakota, Ohio, finally, South Carolina, South Dakota, and Vermont. States that prohibit the possession of purchase of firearms by all people subject to ex parte orders. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, and Virginia. So we're coming up on the break. Again, um, this is a live podcast of Victims to Victorious. This is part three in our series called Death, Do Us Part. Um, After the break, call in 704-802-5056. You can also also send me a Twitter on Air Angel. If you've missed any of the shows and you're trying to catch up, please go to the blacktalkradionetwork.com. You can listen to the archive podcasts of my shows or others. And we're taking our break.
Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Okay, it's 11.30 a.m. My name is Angel Fall. Thanks for joining us on Victims to Victorious. This is part three in an installment called Till Death Do Us Part. And today's installment is called Death Do Us Part. Death to us part, some states are safer than others. And we are reviewing the law about domestic violence and gun purchase or ownership and gun relinquishment from state to state. We're also looking at the definition of the perpetrator and the definition of the victim because this is evolving largely because there is a trend in within social media of stalking, and unfortunately, even homicides. So some states, returning to the Giffords.org article, I'm giving still giving a wider view, and then um, a little bit later, we will get into more of the state specific. We're listing those states that are participating, because, of course, the Giffords Law Center wants to highlight the states that are applying the law. Uh, they are reinforcing the law. They're broadening the scope of the victim and the scope of the, of the perpetrator so that more people are protected. Uh, women, it's been estimated that women who live in a house with a gun who are also abused are 500 times more likely to be shot with that gun. And the victims can include in domestic violence cases, law enforcement, children, be they the biological or stepchildren, family members, cohabitants, and pets. Some states, returning to the LawCenterGiffords.org article, broaden who may seek a protective order. Many states exceed federal law by including a broader category of domestic violence victims who may apply for a protective order prohibiting firearms. About half the states exceed federal law by allowing victims to seek a protective order prohibiting purchase or possession of firearms by Now, these, again, these are the definitions of who you are, why you are the victim. So here is how the law has been broadened. Current or former dating partner or anyone with whom the victim has had a romantic relationship. Romantic relationship, of course, can be substituted with the words intimate, partner, or conjugal, literally meaning have you had sex with the person and also have you had children with the person. Any person who is presently or has in the past resided with the victim and or any family member. What that law also does, it protects people who are not necessarily involved with the partner because of gender, or it also protects people who are involved with the partner. Like in other words, if you are having a, if you're a woman and you're having a relationship with another woman and that relationship turns violent, even though, um, it's legal in all 50 states to have a same-sex partner, the protections are slow to be enforced. And you can be, just imagine if you are a woman having a relationship with a woman that you live with who you're not married, and she's, we're on, uh, we're on uh, Block Talk Radio, she's whooping your ass every time you don't bring home enough money. In some of these states, she would still have trouble filing because she's not, assumed to be a dating partner because she, partner, she's the same gender as you 
and then you're not married either. So this broadens, again, this hits people's social media. This includes people when it says past resided with the victim. This includes people who are relatives, mother, daughter, grandparent, aunt, uncle, etc. Some states include ammunition. Now, that's very important. When we've done shows about um, mass murders, the law that allows people to have certain clips, certain amounts of ammunition, guns that are uh, have been fitted post-market to um, fire automatically, etc. So some states include ammunition. A small number of states also prohibit subjects of domestic violence protective orders from purchasing or possessing ammunition. In California, for example, a person subject to any one of the following types of court orders is prohibited from possessing firearm or ammunition. If you live in California and know that the law benefited you or wish the law had been enacted before a loved one was murdered, call in and let us know, 704-802-5056. Press the star key twice to get unmuted. A domestic violence protective order when issued ex parte after notice and hearing or in a judgment. A temporary restraining order issued to a victim of harassment. Again, I like the way the gender and the victim don't have to be the same here. Many of the older laws assume that the woman is the victim and it's always her spouse. But a victim of harassment, again, that could be someone that you had a traffic accident with and got your personal information and started harassing you. A temporary restraining order issued to an employer on behalf of an employee. A temporary restraining order issued on a post-secondary education institution on behalf of a student. A protective order for an elderly or dependent adult who has suffered abuse, provided the abuse was not solely financial. Emergency protective order related to stalking. A protective order related to a crime of domestic violence or the intimidation or dissuasion of a victim's witness. States that authorize or require removal of the, or relinquishment of firearms when a protective order is issued. The following states require police officers to remove firearms and or ammunition from abusers subject to domestic violence protective orders. Massachusetts, Hawaii, New Jersey, and Illinois. That's four states that require the, the police um, to remove the firearms. Massachusetts, Hawaii, Illinois, New Jersey, as well as the states below, require an abuser subject to domestic violence protective orders issued after notice and hearing to relinquish firearms. California, Colorado, Connecticut, I disclosed earlier, I was in court where I saw this law applied in Connecticut, Maryland, New Hampshire, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Wisconsin. The below states require the abuser subject to domestic violence protective orders to surrender firearms when certain conditions are met, Iowa, Iowa, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, Washington. In addition, the following states authorize courts to issue protective orders that direct the abuser to surrender certain firearms in his or her, his or her possession in various circumstances. Now, these are all fine line delineations. I hope you're listening carefully and that you can hear that. 
Alaska or Arizona, Delaware, Indiana, Nevada, North Dakota, Rhode Island, South Dakota, and Vermont. States that have closed the boyfriend loophole. As discussed above, and I'm reading from the article, but I keep mentioning it, domestic violence does not occur solely between spouses. Abusers often victimize their dating partners. In what's known as the boyfriend loophole, federal law does not prohibit people from purchasing or possessing a gun if in a dating relationship and subject to a protective order. Under federal law, the abuser must have cohabitated as a spouse or have a child in common with the victim in order to be prevented from accessing firearms. This gap in the law allows abusers who are at an increased risk of committing an act of deadly violence against their partner to purchase and keep guns in their home. Abusive people in dating relationships pose just as much of a threat to their partners as abusers in a marital relationship. The following 23 states prohibit at least some abusive dating partners from gaining access to firearms, effectively closing the boyfriend loophole. Um, these, this is a list of states that prohibit dating partners subject to protective orders from obtaining or purchasing guns. Alaska, Arizona, California, Connecticut, District of Columbia, Delaware, Hawaii, Kansas, Kansas has a caveat, only if the victim is cohabitated with the abuser. Um, Massachusetts, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Washington, and West Virginia. Now moving on to states that allow the police to remove firearms from domestic violence incidents. And I think that this is a very important law because it catches the filing and the abuse and everything in a much more succinct time frame. And the police are allowed to go in and see. Um, if you heard some of the language before, with the consensual search anyway, they're allowed to go in and see, hey, we're, we're arresting him. She's got bruises on her face. But Connecticut, for instance, one of the things I'm going to talk to, does have dual arrest, and that's a, a big controversy. But anyhow, the police can decide to remove the weapons that they see. That's one way the law is enforced. I'm going to read this, and I am going to get to, in the 20 minutes or so we have, some more of the details of those states. States that allow police to remove firearms from domestic violence incidents. 20 states allow law enforcement officers to remove firearms when they arrive at the scene of a domestic violence incident. These laws vary in terms of whether removal is required or simply authorized. Simply authorized really requires the police to use judgment or for somebody to advocate for the victim. Which firearms must be removed? And what they're talking about here is some states say that if the victim calls, and and let's say the 911 call says he um, discharged a 9-millimeter bullet in the ceiling, ceiling, Saying, or he discharged his uh, 357 or his 36 revolver in the ceiling when I said I was leaving, then the police will come and look for the gun that's described on the tape or when they interview the victim and she says, yes, he used his service revolver or he used his deer hunting rifle, then they will look for that one and remove that one. These laws vary in terms of whether removal is required or simply authorized, backing up a little bit. 
which firearms must be removed and the length of time that must pass after the incident before the firearms can be returned. For laws regarding law enforcement removal of firearms from people who are just generally dangerous, we talked about that in the previous show. You can look for categories of prohibited people on the Giffords website or even just type it into Google. The following states require law enforcement to to remove at least some firearms at the scene of a domestic violence incident. California, Hawaii, Illinois, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Utah, Washington State, West Virginia. The following states authorize but do not require law enforcement to remove firearms at the scene of a domestic violence incident. And if you live in Alaska, Arizona, Connecticut, Indiana, Maryland, Vermont, you want to ask, might want to ask your state legislator to buff your state legislator to buffer that law to increase its applicability and its uh, scope. The most comprehensive approach requires law enforcement to remove all firearms in the abuser's possession, ownership, or control. So we're talking about relinquish, surrender, and removal. For example, New Hampshire law enforcement must remove all firearms and ammunition in an abuser's control, ownership, or possession. Whenever law enforcement has probable probable cause to believe that a person has been abused, Connecticut authorizes but does not require the removal of all firearms and ammunition at the location where domestic violence is alleged to have been committed if the firearms and ammunition are in the possession of the suspect or in plain view. Other states allow the removal of only certain firearms or allow the removal of firearms only if certain conditions are met. If you just joined us, we have about 15 minutes to go. The title of today's show on Victims to Victorious is um, Death Do Us Part. Some states are safer than others. And we're doing a very comprehensive state-by-state review of the way guns can be surrendered, removed, or relinquished. And there are slight differences in how the law is interpreted and how this, how this actually occurs. Um, if you have not heard our other two installments, please take a look at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Click on um, the right-hand side. There will be a tab that lists all the shows, and you can review my show, Victims to Victorious, and leave a comment. We would really appreciate it. So I'm just going to give a little bit of a summary before I go into some more details. When intimate partner violence involves guns, present at a bleak moment, research shows that the federal and following federal and state law policies and practices disrupts abusers' access to guns that and this therefore can save lives. In lives. Intimate partner violence and gun violence in the US are inextricably linked. And um, I am reading from I am reading from everytownresearch.org. Intimate partner violence and gun violence in the U.S. are inextricably linked, impacting millions of women, families, and communities across the country. Abusers with firearms are five more times likely to kill their victims, and guns further exasperate the power and control dynamic used by abusers to inflict emotional abuse and exert coercive control over their victims. Every month, an average of 52 women 
are shot and killed by an intimate partner. Nearly one million women alive today have reported being shot or shot at by intimate partners, and 4.5 million women have reported being threatened with a gun. Using personal disclosure, I would be one in that 4.5 million. In more than half of mass shootings over the past decade, the perpetrator shot a current or former intimate partner or family member as part of his initial rampage. The ripple effects of firearms in the hands of abusers extend far beyond the intimate relationship affecting children who witness it or live with it, and the family members, coworkers, and law enforcement officers who respond to it. While the deadly intersection of guns and intimate partner violence affects all women, it has disproportionately, disproportionately an impact on black American, Indian slash Alaskan Native, and Hispanic women. In addition, segments, segments of the LGBTQ community and people with disabilities are highly vulnerable to severe forms of relationship abuse, but this is an alarmingly little data on the intersection of firearms and intimate partner violence among these populations because of chronic underreporting. And I alluded to that earlier. I do believe um, that that came from guns and violence against women. There are other resources online. Um, you can, of course, um, send me a message on air. Angel, I do respond to direct messages on Twitter, and I can forward you um, any of the articles that I have printed. I'm a little bit unsure if I've got the exact resource of that because the URL did not print out. If you're wanting to find out more um, about this, go to Find Laws Team, findlaw.com. They, they monitor and advocate for the domestic violence offender gun ban. If you wish to call in, uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. We have about 10 minutes left on the show, 704-802-5056. So looking a little more in depth at some of the states, how they apply the federal law, the Lautenberg Amendment, and how abusers are... Um, dispossessed of weapons, uh, let's take a look at New Jersey. In addition to state law enforcement, officers' authority to seize any weapon that is contraband evidence of instrumentality of crime, I'm reading the real language, a law enforcement officer who has probable cause to believe that an act of domestic violence has been committed shall a question person present to determine whether there are weapons on the premises. Now remember, um, in Discussing those states, the following states re require law enforcement to remove at least some firearms at the scene. So that is New Jersey, and that's consistent with the author of the amendment being from New Jersey. So in New Jersey, officers who are at the scene question persons present to determine whether there are weapons on the premises and Upon observing or learning that a weapon is present on the premises, they can seize any weapon that the officer reasonably believes would expose the victim to a risk of serious bodily injury. And remember in this discussion of domestic violence and gun violence, you have to look 
get morbidity and mortality. In the case of being shot in the head, which is 95% fatal, but in the case of being shot in the head, if you do survive, what are the chances that you have cognitive difficulties? In the case of being shot in an extremity, an arm or, or the foot, what are the chances that you no longer, no longer can use that arm or leg? So the injuries are another component that underlay the actual homicide, but they, the risk, the you don't have to worry about whether or not you're paralyzed or dead. That's, that's kind of the idea I want to convey. So that, is, that covers risk of serious bodily injury. If law enforcement officer sees any firearm pursuant to this paragraph, the officer shall also seize any firearm purchase identification card or permit to purchase a handgun issued to the person accused of the act of domestic violence. So as of this reading and this printing in New Jersey, the policeman can prevent you from obtaining another weapon after they remove the weapon that they believe has caused the threatening or could result in the bodily harm. So let's look at another state. I'm taking a look at Maryland. A law enforcement officer may confiscate and remove a firearm, ammunition, or deadly weapon from the scene if the law enforcement officer has probable cause to believe that a crime involving domestic or family violence has occurred. A reasonable belief that the firearm, ammunition, or deadly weapon exposes the victim to immediate risk of seriously but serious bodily injury, that language is consistent with New Jersey, or, here's the legal language again, was an instrumentality of the crime involving domestic or, violence, domestic or family violence, or observe the firearm ammunition, Maryland specific about ammunition, or deadly weapon at the scene during their response. So Maryland is a state that includes uh, the removal of ammunition. And, of course, people at the Gifford Law Center want to advocate for the removal of ammunition. So if you just joined us, we have a little less than 10 minutes to go, and we're discussing the way intimate partner violence and gun violence are inextricably linked, inextricably linked. So let's um, return to a little more of the broader discussion. Other states allow the removal of only certain firearms or allow the removal of firearms only if conditions, certain conditions are met. That's what we were doing when we looked at some of the state-by-state uh, some of the state by state statistics that I printed out for getting ready for the show. Some states are prohibiting stalkers from buying or possessing firearms or ammunition. As discussed above, stalking is a strong predictor of future violence. And again, stalking, states that are looking at stalking are recognizing that there isn't always an intimate partner case. There isn't always a conjugal relationship. There's a social media relationship. There's an employee-employer relationship. There's a neighbor relationship. Under current, under current federal law, individuals convicted of felony stalking offenses are prohibited from accessing guns. But individuals convicted of misdemeanor stalking offenses are not prohibited from accessing guns if, if the accessing guns, if the stalking offense was not in the context 
of a domestic relationship. You can see where that leaves some people at risk. Several states have gone above and beyond federal law to prohibit stalkers from purchasing or possessing guns. And in previous shows, we looked at stalkers and their violence using guns. So here are the states that prohibit stalking misdemeanors. That was a new word for me today. Stalking misdemeanors from buying or possessing firearms. And remember, in the larger public health discussion, solving gun violence is multi-pronged approach. There are policies. There are cures. There are, there's education. There's law enforcement. States that prohibit stalking misdemeanors from buying or possessing firearms. This is the Law Center at Giffords.org. The following nine states prohibit purchases and possession of firearms by people convicted of misdemeanor crime, the misdemeanor crime of stalking. California, Connecticut, Hawaii, Minnesota, New Mexico, New York, North Dakota, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. That is just nine out of 50 states, including, and I don't believe the District of Columbia is in there. States that require authorized courts to prohibit subjects of stalking protective orders from buying or possessing firearms. Just three states prohibit subjects of all stalking protective orders, including ex parte orders from purchasing or possessing firearms, California, Florida, and Nebraska. Two states prohibit subjects of stalking orders from purchasing or possessing firearms only if the order was issued after notice and hearing, West Virginia and Wisconsin. So the gap between the stalker who is the sociological research proves that stalkers are prone to violence and that they, that is a prediction that you can make. You can make a prediction from stalking to violence, okay? So only two, two states, let's review that, two states prohibit subjects of stalking orders from purchasing or possessing firearms only if the order was issued after a notice and a hearing, Three states prohibit subjects of stalking protective orders, including ex parte orders, from purchasing or possessing firearms. And nine states prohibit purchases, purchase and possession of firearms by people convicted of misdemeanor crime or stalking. Notice there is an overlap. California does both. California is the only state here that does both. And since stalking can be a predictor of violence, if you're a listener here who wants to advocate for someone who is at risk, just want, you just want to advocate for the place that you live in, get to your, your legislators. Tell them what you've learned from here. Tell them what you've learned from the law center, Giffords.org. This has become a growing issue in our society where you can watch someone from afar due to social media. Um, long time ago, people used to refer to some of these people as peeping Toms. And before the Internet, many burglars were also peeping Toms, and their behavior escalated to sex offenses. So violence can be predicted in a population. That's what you, you should understand by listening to victims, to victorious. When you apply the public health model to the epidemic of violence, 
it means that you can predict violence in populations like you can cancer. You can predict violence in certain populations like you can cardiac events or, or high blood pressure. These are not random events. Now, we are broadcasting from Ohio today, and I am going to read a little bit about Ohio in terms of what they, um, what they do in terms of domestic violence and guns. Um, if uh, a peace officer described response to a report of an alleged incident of the offense of domestic violence or an alleged incident of the offense of violating a protective order, and if the circumstances of the incident involve the use or threatened use of a deadly weapon or any person involved in the incident brandished a deadly weapon during or in relationship to the incident, the deadly weapon that was used, threatened to be used, or brandished constitutes contraband, and to that extent possible, the officer shall seize the deadly weapon as contraband. So this is part of the way guns uh, used in a domestic violence incident in Ohio are um, reduced in terms of access to the abuser. So we have one minute left. I want to thank all of you who tune in and react to me. Leave a um, message on the Black Talk Radio network.com for me on Victims to Victorious. You can leave a comment. And some of our articles, uh, some of our information today came from everytownresearch.org, Guns and Violence Against Women, America's Uniquely Lethal Incident Partner Violence Problem. That's an excellent article to look at. Of course, if you cannot find some of these materials or want to reach me directly, I do respond to direct messages on Air Angel. That's my Twitter feed, On Air Angel. I want to thank the listeners. I want to thank my sound engineer, Scotty Reed, and tune in next week for another episode of Victims to Victorious. I'm Angel Fall.